0: Hey, Queeros, Cami here. First of all, I want to let you know I am halfway sold out on vinyl copies of Rape Jokes. Sold 150 of them. There's only 300 that'll be made ever. So go on over to um, my social media, find a link, or you can go to a Special Thing Records and grab them there. A Special Thing Records vinyl copies of Rape Jokes. They also come with a free download code. All money goes to Rain. Hey, this week's episode of the podcast features a chat with Julian Baker. Julian is a rad musician with just a, a, a really beautiful worldview who I have just enjoyed having a little bit of like a, a tour friendship with over the last uh, couple of years, but also just watching. Um, I like everything that Julian's doing, and I think you really like this chat. So check it out in joie. Uh, I always have, I always have folks introduce themselves on this show. So, would you introduce yourself?
1: Um, yes, I will. My name is Julian Baker, and I am doing my best. <laughs> I, I was <laughs> thought, I was waiting I, to see what so, was going to come next. <laughs> I know. I thought, so I'm like a fan of the podcast and I think it's really awesome to have people introduce themselves and determine on their own terms, like what, how they describe their identity. And, um, you know, I think it was like Roxanne Gay that introduced just by saying like, this is my name. My name is Roxanne Gay. Yes. And I was like, that's awesome. But I never know, like whenever I attach adjectives to myself, they invariably are... I prove them untrue by doing <laughs> some stupid thing later in the day, and I'm like, I'm such a liar. So, I'm just, I'm a musician. You are mostly a musician. as my profession, and then otherwise, I'm just a human out here trying not to do anything. Yeah, too I, awful.
0: I uh, I get that quest. That's an important quest. Can right. be difficult to uh, stay focused, but it's still important. True. And um,
1: are you in? So you live in L.A., but you're not in L.A. right now.
0: No, I am in L.A. This is all happening in L.A.
1: Oh, but you Yeah, you're I'm in a touring. tiny room in
0: L.A. I am touring. I know. I came home um, to shoot something. I shot something for TV yesterday, and I'm leaving again tomorrow. Go to D.C. Yeah. Whoa.
1: That is all over the place.
0: It is all over the place. Well, let's talk about this. So there was a tiny moment there where we had to pause our natural conversation just to deal with um, some like, hey, how, how do we record this? Mm-hmm. issues um but we solved that and so uh julian the last thing that we were that you were sort of saying was that you're a musician i wanted to say for the official record that you are a super talented musician that i have gotten the chance to see live a couple times let's see i think i saw you live twice and i just saw you sound check one time that was also really fun
1: oh yeah <laughs> well, that wasn't at boston calling was it Oh, no, uh, was it was
0: at the... I, I saw you play at Boston Calling. Um, I saw, although I had to miss part of your set because I had to go perform myself. Right. Um, but I saw you also here in LA at, I can't remember if it, what the theater was called, but it was like downtown.
1: I don't um, remember that theater either, but Houdini, they have a square where Houdini used to disappear at that theater, and that's all I remember about it. No, oh my They're God. They're just like, Houdini was here. And the, I, I, mean, I remember where you saw me check. It was with Mary Lambert singing with me that night. That's correct. That was in Vermont.
0: It was in Burlington, Vermont. We were playing on the same block. And so I like walked over in the snow and saw your soundtrack, which actually made me feel like very comforted, you know, that like out there on the road, not totally alone kind of a thing. You can walk down the street and see some friendly faces.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I felt the same way. And then I got to see your set that night and I laughed so hard that I was like hoarse for my own set it's like I shouldn't have gone to see an, an incredible comedian because now I laugh too hard no but it was good and it is nice to like run into a familiar face when you're so far away from home all the time
0: yes and it really is right I mean and I also think um, somebody who kind of understands maybe where you're at like vibe wise because you travel so much that There's not like a there's not a need for explanation of what it's like being on the road. You were driving in a van that night. You were like coming over a mountain in a van or something. And it was like a harrowing trip. (laughs) Or maybe Mary was getting there also right before the show. She drove. We were in a van. um, How did you get there? Did you fly? Uh, I drove myself from Boston oh, yeah. and, like, probably a rented Toyota Corolla because straight up, <laughs> I only rent Toyota Corollas. And Toyota, <laughs> if you're listening, can you please get me a sponsorship because I love to drive them. <laughs> They're very easy to drive. <laughs> it's my favorite <laughs> thing to drive when I'm on the road. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was so cool to get a chance to see you sing with those other folks. Um, so you're, let's see, how long have you been touring, like, the, the amount that you are touring now? Um, would you say how many years let's
1: see for the past I think it's been three years that I've been touring this heavily doing like between 150 and 200 shows a year I think that's like the highest amount that we would have done but that's still a lot that's like a show every three or four days if you break it up and like before that obviously when I toured it was just on whenever I could get off of work so I think when it switched It was something that required a lot of, it was a big learning curve, you know? Mm -hmm. And it still is a learning curve of how to be present and engaged, like, in your community and the lives of the people you love when you're sort of spread out in a more theoretical and, like, elastic community than, you know, usual geographic parameters would permit. I guess. Yeah, I
0: think that's a really good way of saying it. I mean, also because there are people who maybe work different jobs that if you say to them, like, no, it's a show every two or three days, they're like, we oh, only work every two or three days or three or four days or whatever. You're like, "But what? <laughs> but what's involved in it is, you know, the travel there. And also a lot of times the shows are strung together so that you're performing every night for a stretch of time. And something that I always find is that like, you can forget that things are going on without you. You know, like, it's like, there are people yes. back where you came from that are having dinner together and um, having new experiences together, seeing movies together, and you're just you're just missing that. You're away from that.
1: Totally. What a depressing I, thing. I just saw your no, eyes change as you got like, so sad. <laughs> I, I didn't get sad. It's actually nice to be able to relate to other people because it, it reminds me of perspective, like a thing I'm constantly having to exercise in my own life, which seems... Like it would be intuitive and something everybody knows, but that it's just like, you're only the protagonist of your life. Everybody else has a life that doesn't quit when they're not visible to you. Or And so like when I come home and I have prepared in my mind that like, oh, I'm gonna spend all this time with all these people. And then I remember that their schedule still exists regardless of whether I'm gone or away, like being considerate of that is an exercise in like my humility and ability to adapt and not, you know, only think of what's, I guess, convenient or preferred for me. It's difficult. I think touring heavily is like a crash course in relationships, like not just romantic relationships, but familial and friendship relationships, you know, teaches you a lot of humility, definitely.
0: I mean, what you just said About assuming other people or remembering other people have others have a life that you're not the center of is you're right. It's a great thing to apply, like whether or not you're a (laughs) a touring musician or comic, and and also very hard to remember. So you're right. You're getting like this more extreme version, but the lessons are the same, and um, really hard to learn. Like God, that's hard to learn. Um, Also, I'm thinking about you transitioning to that much. And do you usually, because every time I've seen you, you've had a band, and even if it's like a smaller, is that mm-hmm. true? Did you have, well, Camille is the name of the person that plays the violin yes. with you?
1: Yeah, Camille Faulkner plays violin, but that's as many people. Oh, I might have had uh, somebody playing like auxiliary percussion sometimes. I think maybe name. I saw that, yes. Yeah, um, but usually, yeah, it's pretty small. It's just like the Four of us there's like a woman named Avanti who tour manages and uh, Will who does merch and we just are in a little sprinter so that's kind of also like the converse um, lesson that you learn of touring is that you are confronted with people's personalities and their idiosyncrasies 24 7 like from the moment you wake up and then you're in a like very tiny enclosed space with them And then you share a hotel with them often. And I think it uh, demands that you be very aware of how to articulate your needs in a way that is gentle and, and kind to the other person as well. Or how to, I guess, not just articulating your own needs, but managing the needs of a group. That's something that we all... Talk about so much. We do so much verbal processing in the car. I think what I just said makes it sound like it's hard. Like, darn, isn't it hard to be around people? But it's actually not because our team is very communicative verbally. And if we weren't, I think it would quickly become difficult. But you, like, so this is fascinating to me because you travel just alone? You just drive yourself in a car? Or do you usually have a person <laughs> with you?
0: No, a lot. Of, a lot of times, it's alone. I mean, oh, um, oh my gosh. Sometimes it's been with with uh, like another comic, but um, a lot of it has been alone. Um, and well, I want to just say one thing before I, we go on to this is okay, that got it. what what you just said is really interesting for I think any job also because what you're talking about uh, about learning to like articulate your needs is also so important if you're somebody who is from a marginalized community. Like if you're a queer person or you're a woman, that's not actually a, t- a skill that you're usually taught. Um, Never. Like, like literally there's n- no, um, it's like a it's a really steep climb to figure out how to com- convey to people what's going on. And, and um, the good news about our jobs is that it's a more extreme version where like literally if you don't get what you need, like you're not going to be able to perform. So it, you know, like there's like a, there's like a um, an impetus for you to learn that skill. True. But um, it's still really hard and it's a lot of uh, talking yourself into it, you know. And I think like anybody that's listening that uh, certainly a ton of folks that listen to this podcast, it's like, you know, these are a lot of folks in the LGBT community. We're, we're people who are taught to make ourselves smaller so that we can be palatable for other people and it's hard when you're taught that to like then be like actually now i'm gonna be an, a a business person and now i must take up space in order to get like the money that i deserve and like you know the water that i need in order to sing you know all those things it's like an interesting tightrope
1: oh my gosh what the thing you said about being taught to minimize yourself has been so Relevant. I feel like in every conversation that I've been having about being a queer person in the music industry and a, a, a female in the music industry, or like just like a non cis person in the music industry, it also applies to just life as a person in a marginalized community. And I hadn't really like necessarily thought of that, but you know, it's not limited to the professional field that I found myself within, I, you know, that's something that every queer person I feel like is negotiating their needs and their identity and like the very fabric of who they are with what is permitted by society in order to sort of establish a weird compromise with dominant culture and non-dominant culture, because you know that you are ultimately like subordinate to something more powerful that is deciding like what's acceptable or how many needs you get to have or when and on whose terms they get to be fulfilled. And so you sort of learn this behavior of minimizing them and practicing a really like masochist essentialism of I only need what I need, (laughs) you know? Wow like but that's very powerful that's an interesting yeah
0: Yeah. no that's so real well i guess you know it's the it's the there is like a necessary compromise because otherwise you'd be constantly exhausted like there is a moment where you have to be like i actually am gonna be small in this moment because like i'm so tired i just fought that fight a minute ago and um and then there's also knowing that you can't let your guard down that much. Like that you ha- it's you know, it's always choosing like, well, is this one of the situations to fight or is this one of the situations to sort of um acquiesce for again, self preservation? And I think that's what you're talking about too, is this constant I mean, even in this moment that we're recording this, like um just to give context, the Trump administration's like memo on trans folks is like in the news right now. Yeah. Um when we're recording this. And I think that's something that I'm thinking about a lot is, you know the, uh, like, the LGBT community being told that um, it didn't matter who was in the White House because, like, w- our rights were not really up for debate. And then, you know, us knowing that that's not true. Yeah. And just, but then us still having to, like, live in the world. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Still have to live here, I guess. I mean, good move, I guess. But I don't know.
1: That, exactly. I still live here. Like, how are you <laughs> going to move? Yeah. That's not. also show me this perfect place (laughs) yeah exactly i mean that's something so insane to me too because it's sort of i don't it took me off guard for the exact reason that you're talking about is that there was this foregone conclusion i had that we we already covered that and now we have to move not i guess i don't want to say something like um ignorant by saying like moving backwards knowing that there are people who never got there with the rest of the or like with legislation or with I guess the social awareness that I'm seeing or that I'm presented with but it did feel like a regression and that was very disheartening like I don't know.
0: Julian you're good at choosing your words and Uh, and like making sure that what you say is what you mean. You're very good at that. I'm just noticing that. So Thank good job! You like for congratulations. That. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> that's like the best compliment that you or any person can give me. <laughs> Do you, I don't know if you watch the show The Good Place, but I, um,
0: I was watching I don't, it but with me, my partner, and I
1: was like, I've never anybody who watches it. There's like a character on there that can't decide anything and is perpetually like paralyzed by needing to say exactly the right and just thing and I've never related to a character more. <laughs> it's just so important, like, to, you know, I I think I spent a lot of time in my life, like, not caring and not being careful, and now I've allowed the pendulum to swing the other way where I'm very, very cautious about how I engage with the world and, and what I say and being con- careful of everyone.
0: You know, that's interesting because it... that strikes me that that would be, like, a good quality to have if one were going to say, like, be a (laughs) singer-songwriter. I just mean because um, it's an opportunity to, like, really get down, like, exactly what you mean. I mean, obviously, like, you're always going to evolve, so, like, something that you wrote or performed five years ago isn't always going to speak to who you are now, but I just mean, like, the idea that you're kind of packaging a thing that's like, this is what I'm saying to the world, and, um... Like, what is that experience like for you?
1: Oh, man. It's difficult. I think it started with the last album that we did. The first record that I put out just as a solo musician, I didn't know that people were going to listen to it beyond my Facebook friend group that saw me put it up on Bandcamp for (laughs) $2. And so I just said whatever and chronicled I suppose, what was happening in my immediate life. And then I wrote another record that was more just about my friends and the people I was interacting with. And right before we were about to send the masters for like the demos, and I was like certain that these were the songs that was going to be on the record. It was like the Trump got elected to become president of the United States. And it sort of like... I hate that that extreme of a thing is what pushed me over the edge into recognizing in a concrete way my, I guess, not obligation, but the responsibility of, of my position as an artist. Um, And I got so wrapped up in uh, weighing whether or not it was even – if it showed a lack of decorum to release something that was so finite and so hyper specific at a time when there was so much global wrong being experienced. And I think the way I've come to negotiate that boundary is that, like, I think it's important to portray real experiences and true emotions in a way that makes other people feel seen and comforted and that there is value in that even if there is no explicit agenda you know there is something I guess political or maybe outside of the political realm just like socially relevant being accomplished by making another person feel comforted or seen um that was the longest answer ever but that is the spiel no, that I tell so myself relatable.
0: It's so relatable again and you don't even have to be an artist here's the thing like we all I mean not we all I'm not gonna speak for everyone I I can relate to what you're saying here's a moment where it feels like every day you wish that you were dedicating yourself to change um but then also at the same time um you have to you know be a person that does small things too like I just mean one one Julian Baker can't change everything right like totally and, you know and it's and it but it does feel like you're like oh god like what's the big thing i could do and sometimes it's just like consistently doing um the small thing responsibly you know i think i think that is sometimes actually all we can do but it does feel now like there's oh like more more what else what else you know and and, and sometimes there, there is an actual like human limitation of time space things like that <laughs>
1: it's true i mean i talk about this all the time, the way that like global information is accessible makes us connected with so many just events, period, good or bad. And then the fact that so many of them are horrible and heartbreaking is like very overwhelming. But when we try to parse our attention out over hundreds of different focal points, like we lose intensity. And so also... There's value to me in, I was going to say something else and I realized I didn't finish my sentence, but I'm going to (laughs) interrupt myself to say, I think that there's value in living the ideals that you claim instead, because I think so much about what I say and the art that I make and as like, you know, superficial as it. I feel some people think it is, but like the what I say on social media, or the internet, that's a whole other part of your portrayal as a human being now that we are concerned with. And I think so much about that, but also there's just the iterations of like, how do you conduct yourself in the world. It's awesome to me. I didn't want to do this, but the fe- like you with your special and donating the profits of that to rain is an oh. incredible example of how, like, without you making a very long treatise on how art and artists should behave within, like, a consumerist structure if they want to affect change and and not just be, like, profit-driven, you've avoided doing that by just, like, making an example of an alternative that needs no explanation, which I think is really cool.
0: Oh man, thank you for saying that. Yeah, that's really nice. Actually, I really appreciate that. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, that's very. That's very. It's. uh Yep, you get it. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. Sometimes you. Sometimes you just have to do the the thing. Um, yeah, and that's and sometimes that's all you have is just the doing. Um, I also want to just say, Julian, um, just in terms of like. I guess sort of the small ways that one can work for social change. So I don't actually know this. How how do you identify, like you as a human, if you don't mind saying?
1: I identify as a queer female, just queer lady. Amazing. I almost said just a queer, la- like that's all that just I am. Just a queer I'm lady. I'm just lady. such a small, regular queer,
0: tiny queer lady. <laughs> like uh, yeah. Well, so I want to say that when I came to see you, um, so like other times I've seen you again, I was like I saw sound check or like when I saw you at Boston Calling, I was side, I was like side stage. So I was just watching you perform, which was really cool. Like I got to see you like belt from very close. Um, But when I saw you in LA, I was just like straight up in the audience. It was very cool to watch from the audience because, you know, there's a lot about just you sort of being on stage and it was a pretty big venue. um, And it was packed. People were having a really good time. And one thing that I noticed was like the number of, um, first of all, like Definite like rad queerness, like definitely like a lot of young people. But then I also noticed like a ton of, um, you know what seemed to me to be like straight couples, like they're presenting as straight couples or like uh, dudes, like you know cis dudes, um, that seem to be there. And you know I think. Because maybe you don't get a chance – because maybe you can't see yourself from the audience of your own show because, like, there's a chance you have a limitation in that way. Um, You can't, like, astral project. Uh, That it's very cool just to see – and you have, like, a – you're, like, a – you have a rainbow guitar strap, yeah? Am I making that up? I do. You have, like, a rainbow guitar strap. You're, like, um, dressed, I think, in a way that makes you feel comfortable, but that isn't, like – some traditional feminine stereotype. Like, I just feel like you're just like there being yourself on yeah. stage. And I think that sometimes even just like being witnessed by people, um, especially by especially by queer folks, because they're like, oh, yay, me, you know, and then especially by not queer folks, because they're like, oh, that's not me. But I respect that person, and I see them speaking in ways I understand. Like all of that, I was very aware of, you know, just watching people watch you. And I think it does matter to just sort of present yourself to the world sometimes. It's a huge, it's just a huge deal. Walking oh. on stage in like black dickies or whatever you wear, <laughs> like with a
1: rainbow guitar strap, <laughs> they're, and just oh, like their car, their they're car dance Give so me some sorry. credit. They're I'm not so dickies. Sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. How shameful. Uh, no, we have a like crude joke about carhartt because like to me wearing car art is just like it is it's just a Tennessee thing and then it started to become kind of like a queer lady thing like or maybe I saw it was I don't and I don't know much about this maybe this is a jumping off point for another conversation that we'll put a pin in but like um no, man. I just felt myself standing on the cliff of that conversation and what looking off it? and thinking, what like was it? it was like talking about um sort of more like old school like presentation of like butch culture. Yes, you know what I mean. Because sure. that's something that I never really like. I think I just missed, and so uh-huh. there's a lot of like. And again, this is part of the tangent, but I think that I missed a lot of queer culture. I just missed it <laughs> and like I just don't know about it but um the wearing Carhartt became sort of like an inside joke of an intersection of being from the south and all the like just farming community people at my high school wearing it and then also being like a lady wearing a very overtly non-feminine thing on purpose um but I didn't know this now it's just like a cool streetwear brand. <laughs> and I went into <laughs> I was That's in true. Uh, I do have French Carhartts that are like that are like like spe- actually no,
0: they're not French. They're Japanese. I do have Japanese Carhartts.
1: Yeah, and they're just like like, you know, People with like tiny hats at like coffee shops where yeah. all the, the I know They're furniture like is uncomfortable. It's a whole
0: thing. I have high waisted Japanese car hearts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, my point is, I'm extremely, um, I'm extremely the thing you're describing, which is uh, <laughs> the streetwear <laughs> version of the real thing that you are. Um, but, well, Julian, actually, do you mind if I ask? Because I think I know this. How old are you? What, what? How old are you?
1: I'm 23. I just turned 23 like a couple weeks ago.
0: That's what I thought. I would have guessed that. So I'm 37. Um, happy birthday!
1: Wait, thank you. You turned it a couple weeks ago. Like uh, September 29th. Oh, September
0: so. 29th. My birthday is October 17th. Happy birthday. Oh, dude, to both happy of birthday us. to you. Yeah, thank you. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that I find is true is that one thing about, like, specifically lesbian culture or queer women, like, it, whatever you want to specifically call that, because it's had a lot of different names, um, is that I think. We often reinvent the same things like it's like if you don't know the history, it's fun to know the history because then you can be like, oh, I didn't actually even start this. But if you even if you don't know the history, like you're maybe just going to create it because there is um, like if you just think about how we even get those things, it's like, well, well, um, women who are maybe more masculine of center or have a little more masculinity in them or who aren't gonna marry a you know straight man and like then move into um some of the archetypes there like we're gonna tend to have to need similar jobs like I just mean like okay so then you're gonna have to be providing for yourself and maybe you're gonna do some like physical labor because you're like somebody who likes the idea of working with their hands so then if you're doing physical labor you're kind of gonna need the same pants you know like it's like so every I feel like we we sometimes don't realize that, like, the stuff that we're doing, or like now, um, like slicked back hair, um, mm-hmm. almost like, like a, it's like an undercut, like that's like popular again, but. I feel like a lot of people don't know about Katie Lang and maybe have never seen photographs of the Katie <laughs> Lang look in the 90s. So it's like, we didn't invent that. You know, it's like, and also it's like, there's like a lesbian like smoking a cigar, wearing a suit. And it's not, all of this is rad. I'm not I'm not shitting on any of this. Totally. Totally. I love the idea that, people, that Wild Fang is selling suits. I love the idea that we have undercuts and stuff. It's just that I, I also love looking at pictures of us just recreating the same. It's like you exist in it's every like, era, you know, like.
1: Yeah, it's like an innate knowledge.
0: Yes, exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but no, that's crazy. When you were talking about the um, the practical necessity that leads to the trend, I was thinking about somebody telling me the history of carabiners and why. Oh my god! What? Like, Do you know it? No, it was like. Um, <laughs> Do you it know was, why we carry them? It was this. It was largely. Con- it was like largely conjecture, or not conjecture, but I think it was. Uh, theorizing like I don't think that this is like historically proven but the Mm. um, ideas that because queer women in the like 70s 80s were not presenting feminine enough to measure up to a standard of beauty that would make them candidates to work in like a white collar job like secretary work or jobs where women I feel like were often you know, albeit unfairly, sexualized and uh, put in a hyper-feminine box because they did not adhere to that standard. They had jobs that were, like you said, like more involved with like manual labor or something that was more like, I don't know, practical or manual. So you need a lot of keys. So you need (laughs) a carabiner to carry your keys. So you need a multi-tool, okay? Yes. You need pants with that little flap that holds the hammer well you're probably gonna fix
0: your own car because there isn't a guy that's gonna fix your car Because, like, the gender roles dictate that one person—and, I mean, all of this has evolved. Exactly. And also, obviously, queer people present all different sorts of ways. But, like, I think the reason that we gravitate towards these things is, like, generally the same reason over and over again. And also, like, why do we have carabiners? Uh, Because we don't have purses. And by the way, (laughs) absolutely many queer women have purses. (laughs) But I'm just saying, also, some of us don't. So, like— you know, My, then there
1: you need, like, where are you going to put all your shit? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What am I supposed to do with this purse? I remember, like, trying to carry purses or trying to, you know, sort of adopt or, like, infiltrate <laughs> that mystery world of the straight <laughs> paradigm <laughs> and just feeling like a double agent, like, holding a purse, like, what do I do with this? Like, how do I even. I know. You know, I know. like I, I, just wear it, had- I,
0: I wear it I wear it with the straps doubled over my <laughs> head and then they go across each arm like holster. Dude, it's
1: so pitiful when I think I see old pictures of myself in my straight straight disguise, which is what I call it, <laughs> which is my Sunday morning outfit. This is like maybe if I put a cardigan on this, they'll never know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I know. I mean, and that's the other thing then. That's why it's like so difficult also for folks who like are queer and then do look a little bit more like it's like we've just decided that purses are for women and so like and also for straight women so like if you can if you cannot pull that off at all like you're definitely gay and then also (laughs) like if you can pull that off like you're definitely not gay and i guess i just mean like that's so much pressure on a purse yeah i doing this on your physical
1: attributes of all all kinds it's not even your physical
0: you don't even that Oh yeah, exactly, it's body. not part of you <laughs> Like your
1: physical, I guess, accessories Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly Oh god That person's doing, doing, doing such it. heavy lifting <laughs> <laughs>
0: Better have, a, better have a, a Secured strap Okay, <laughs> I can stop Back for another game You know it What's going on?
1: Just one more week till Max Fun Drive
0: <laughs> Hard to believe Me? Oh,
1: nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't
0: want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! So you're 23, like, that's a young human to just, um, to have all the thoughts that you have in your brain about, like, like you were saying earlier... Having to make sure that you mean what you say and that you have, like, this social media presence and all this stuff to,
1: like, when did you start playing music, age-wise? I started playing music out, like, li- live when I was 12. And I played... <laughs> that's not what I thought you were going to say. And that's amazing. What, 12. You, the age you 12? It, yes, the age 12. Hmm. The age 12, I was about to turn 13 and I played in a cover band that the guy who led worship at my church. Do I need to explain that? Sometimes I need to give people context. There are these things called rock churches where (laughs) you do real rock and roll music anyway. So like that was one of the only like musical outlets that I knew about. So I was like, okay, I guess I'll just like rip a sick guitar solo to a cover of a David Crowder song. And then we did a John Mayer song and a Goo Goo Dolls song. It was very much like coffee shop rock music. And that's what I played in for a while.
0: How old were the other people in the band? Everybody's like same age.
1: 15, 16. It was sort of like <laughs> I remember him introducing me and saying this young lady is 12 years old. And I just was waiting for him to say something like, and she also has three arms. Like it was like a spectacle, but I think it was amazing. Now when I look back to have started playing out that early, cause I was very shy and I didn't really think of myself as like a singer. Sometimes I would go to like open mic nights, but I really just wanted to play guitar and I didn't, really know or have any entry point into that world like so many of my friends that were in the like punker hardcore scene had an older sibling and I was an only child so I had no one really bringing me to shows and then it took a couple more years for me to figure out how to get fully integrated into the not just goo goo dolls cover world of music nothing bad against the goo goo dolls you know Iris no, I mean, a great song.
0: I'm desperately want. <laughs> I desperately want you to play the Google Doc, the Dials for me right now. Um, and at the time, were you living in Knoxville? Is that where um, you lived?
1: No, I. When 12? So where did I grew, you live when you were twelve? I grew up in Memphis.
0: Memphis, that's right. I knew it was a dang okay. I doubled yeah, down on the wrong, which one. I'm Memphis, very.
1: I'm very quick to correct people. And you're like, extremely proud Nashville? of this,
0: so I've really shamed both of us, but yeah. especially me. Okay, you're from Memphis. You're in Memphis. You're twelve. Church is your outlet for music. <laughs> sort um, of, yeah,
1: at 12. And then once I found out that people have shows in their house, I just started going to that every weekend, or like the skate park. And I... Do you know how you found that out? I, yeah, so <laughs> I was at a church camp, and my friend there told me that... uh a band I liked was playing in town. And at that time I thought of live performance as only something that happened in like stadiums. You know, those people are famous and they're playing to thousands of people or that's the only way you see a show. And one of my friends was like, oh, all these bands are playing at the skate park tonight and it's $10. And I screamed. I lost my mind. I was like, it's $10? It's $10 to see five bands? Because back in those days, five bands was like a slow night. Like I have old uh, like hardcore or like metalcore show flyers where it's like eight bands playing in one day, which is just freaking miserable. But I, I begged and begged and begged and my dad took me to the skate park and there were all these like punk bands playing and some of them were local. And so I started hanging out with those kids and I would go to the skate park every weekend and just watch music and think like, oh, I could do this. (laughs) And then um, I started playing with a couple of kids from my school and they told me that there was like a crew around town that had shows in their house. And I went to one of those and thought it was – amazing because there were only like 30 kids there but they all knew all the words to this music I'd never heard and it wasn't on iTunes and it wasn't on you know there's like no Spotify or anything it was just literally kids giving out CDs in a little plastic sandwich bag and everybody knew the words to each other's songs and I thought like oh that's super beautiful and another interesting thing was that I was amazed that there was no beer at this party (laughs) I was like what are y'all doing where there's no beer here There's no. Why is no one smoking weed? And they were like, "Oh, none of us do that here. We just like to play music." And it was so wholesome. (laughs) And then I stayed, and it was awesome. I feel really fortunate for those people in my life.
0: Do you? Are you still in touch? Do you still know? Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: So it's um, the How Show House was this thing called Smith Seven Records, and they would like the name makes it sound like it's a record label, but it was more like. They just booked shows for people in town, out of town. It was a substance-free space. And it was neat because I feel like even in the other scenes that I've been a part of in different cities where I've lived, punk can be as egalitarian as it wants to be, but it'll still exclude sort of like people that are too normal or like straight-laced and like the kids in fraternities would come play at the house and everybody was just allowed to be there and we would just like loan each other a hundred dollars to make t-shirts and so it wasn't like really anything formal it was just hmm. those people and that, yeah I'm still in touch with them I went down to Memphis yesterday and just visited with those folks oh you know? they must
0: be so proud of you
1: oh I I hope I so bet they are yeah I bet they are <laughs>
0: I bet they are. (laughs) I bet they are. Aw. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I bet they are. Um, Can I ask, I think this is true. um, You're you're straight edge? Are you straight edge?
1: Okay, nice. Um, I didn't say nice at you because I am, like, that's a thing I've said in a way that's like, it's faster to say that I'm straight edge than to explain the whole litany of caveats that comes with that. So like now that I have time to explain it. um, Yeah. Explain. I got time. I mean, I guess I, I don't partake in substances of any kind, but the culture of straight edge is like a very hotly contested thing. I think just because some factions of it are so militant And there's also this, like, rhetoric with a very small number, or I don't know if it's very small, but, like, um, with a very specific uh, kind of straight edge that's, like, if you're not now, you never were. And it's very different than the journey of sobriety. And I think it has a lot more, like, superiority and this weird, like, backwards purity bias that I don't get behind. But straight edge hardcore culture is sort of... The answer to the like more, I guess, debaucherous or like party oriented punk or hardcore culture. So it's really like an ultimatum of. Oh, that's so interesting. Sure. You know what I mean? So I, like, do know what you I don't want to yes. be so militant about it. And the people that I knew never were. Like, that's not ever the idea I had of it. But then I started meeting kids from like the Northeast who were way more serious about it than I was and I was just like I I was I haven't always been sober which is why I'm sober and that's just like a very different journey than somebody who claims straight edge at a young age and then like has never had an experience with drugs or alcohol sure
0: I mean yeah I think right the purity thing that makes sense to me I think you contextualize that really well and then I also think maybe some of it also there's, like, a little bit of evangelism that maybe doesn't s- suit. With, like, if I think about, like, some stereotypes about straight edge folks, I just mean, like, the idea totally. that you would need other people to be that way in order to, like, tolerate them. And I guess maybe what you're saying is that that's just not true for you. like, that, totally. like It's like a personal decision that you're making that makes sense for you and that, like, yeah. and that makes sense for the community, like, that you're choosing to put yourself in, but you're not, like, uh, needing to evangelize about it as much. Is that totally. correct?
1: And I think historically— because I'm a freaking dork and I read a bunch of like books about like old hardcore old straight edge, but like historically it was a much more divisive thing because now I have straight edge friends that will go to bars and hang out. And like, I go to bar, I love bars. They're fun. I like pool. And (laughs) like, um, but also like historically straight edge was very male dominated. And so my TM, Avanti, uh, is also sober and will tell stories about like she grew up in Detroit and it was like a super hard, hardcore scene. And we talk all the time about dudes that would say girls can't be straight edge, which seems like (gasps) such a fourth grade thing for 20 something year old males with like face tattoos to be saying, (laughs) but like that's ridiculous to me. And I think, that's another thing that I remember from, you know, looking back on my experience in music is not necessarily having a particular sort of violence imposed upon me, but just a weird implicit double standard that I felt the need to performatively overcome. Like I think I did many macho or like hypermasculine things that are not in my nature to try to performatively refute that sort of attitude from males or a male dominated scene?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it turns out, uh, I feel like you could walk almost into any community and um, <laughs> if you wanted to, find several people who are very comfortable saying sentences that include girls can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, like, it's weird how that just, like, it's, it, it's it actually it. applies to, like, every job, every yeah. um, major in college, literally every, um, like, way of being on the street. Like, I just <laughs> yeah. like every um, every crazy. of haircut. Boy, are we... can. I know. Man, can you really find someone who really loves to say that sentence uh, just regardless? So that's just something to say. Just, it's incredible
1: how. <laughs> it's just incredible. And um, it's nuts too because it's something that is supposed to be like the way that I grew up is like that punk or hardcore was a refuge for people who felt marginalized, people who were like not invited to the dominant culture's cool kid table. Right. So then. To have a stratified, like, superiority system within that that is homophobic or is sexist. The people that I grew <sighs> up with, like, the Smith 7 crew, like, that there was not really that sort of talk. Like, I didn't know about that sort of intense divisiveness, which makes me a little bit naive and idealistic now because I don't understand. Like why, like, why would you do that? Why would you act that way? That's so, that's so interesting.
0: I mean, i I feel you. I think that that's true for I mean that's that's so true for comedy too. Um, yeah, it's a, it's very yeah. similar in that mentality where it's it's like we are the freaks. we are the we are the rejects, like and we're reclaiming this space. Yeah. but that has to be the um the experience of that has to be on a one to one level for someone to be validated because it's like it's straight it's often straight white cisgender dudes that are saying that. And they're like, I have been hurt because people called me names, or I couldn't date who I wanted to, or like, I had a ton of zits, or like, whatever it is, like, I was hurt. And then if you're somebody whose oppression has been both interpersonal, or whose pain has been both interpersonal and also systemic, then for some reason, like, the, the systemic stuff doesn't get to count. Like, it's like, no, no, this is just for, like, people who've been hurt. And I'm like, okay, yeah. no, but, like, I have been hurt, yes, because, like, we all have been hurt. I assume that we live in a world of pain, all of us, and we're just doing the best we can. You world know? of pain. World of pain. Uh, <laughs> but you you also have to realize that there are um, systemic issues that crush some people in ways that they don't crush other people. And so like exactly what you're saying like I mean if you wanted to find the you know whoever is the 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 most rejected if, like, if we need to if we need to have a, a contest and we don't need to. Yeah. Uh, you know like the person who gets to occupy that space the most might actually not be you, sir. Yeah.
1: Exactly. <laughs> but we don't even and need to have
0: that contest. Yeah. You're the one and saying we like- do.
1: There's people who don't feel that need to supersede or to have to have their pain witnessed or legitimized in a way that completely erases others. And then there's yes. people that do. And there's people that bring bitterness to whatever they're. I don't know. Like, <sighs> I don't know. That is, it's maddening though to say, like, I can acknowledge that you've been hurt. By boy, whatever has hurt you, but like understand that my entire psyche has been formed by a knowledge that the thing I am naturally is not okay, and I now have to make myself this other thing to be more accepted. Whether that's explicit, like whether that's overtly or covertly expressed, it's going to be expressed in some way. There's no one saying to me. That, like, I need to cut my hair short and, you know, try to act real tough in order for people to take me seriously. And yet, I know that no one's going to take me seriously because I'm five feet tall. So, like, <laughs> what? if who's going to take me seriously? No one takes me seriously now. I, like, puff up at a situation. And everybody's like, this is hilarious. Oh, wow. I mean, look.
0: For what it's worth, I take you seriously. I'm just <laughs> I think, kidding. I mean, I, no, I know you're <laughs> kidding, but I also have to say, like, you know what's interesting about you being on stage is, yes, sometimes there's other people up there with you, but sometimes it's just you. You re- Do you realize that when you're on stage and it's just you, nobody knows how big you are? <laughs> because I'm my only <laughs> frame of reference. Because yeah. you're your only <laughs> frame of reference. And so they're like, that's a, that's a... Full-size person, you know, like, what <laughs> I see is a full-size person, you know, I'm, like, yeah. not, I'm not aware of any other context, um, and I think, I just mentioned that because, and then you have a, you have a pretty big voice, or, like, it, it, like you have a big voice, but also, like, the way that you use it, it's, like, you, like, sometimes are singing softly, but you're sometimes singing, like, like, full-on, mouth-open singing, you know, and I, so Thank I you. think, um, I don't know, I mean, you're taking up a ton of space. And I guess I w- I would wonder like, do you feel that way? Do you feel like? Do you feel because we've been talking about like this struggle and stuff? Like, so give me a marker right now, and we can always come back in the future. Do you feel like you're presenting how you want to present? Do you feel like, like, um, you're on stage being the person that you want to be? Do you feel like you're able to be who you want to be in your in your daily life off stage? How are you in this in
1: oh right in this now? Path? Yeah, right you right now you the human v- very Jillian, confident right in presenting in the way that I want to present and learning to I think that expressing myself in the way that I want to express myself what, like whether it be like verbally or artistically is always going to be a little bit more of a challenge because I am a person who like overthinks things but as far as just like who I am who Julian Baker is I feel very secure I guess probably more than I ever have. And I haven't really thought about it in those terms, but I think that touring in the way that I do and in the like sparse instrumentation of my music has taught me to take up more space and be okay with that um and given me a lot more like confidence of what I can do and what I am capable of doing you know like so yeah go julian go go this <laughs> <laughs> what i mean like it's crazy i feel like in my natural life like i don't i would not think of myself as someone who like enjoys performing in the sense of you know people who Are really like congenial at parties and they're really like, they'll they'll, like tell stories in an excited way or like enjoy attention very much. Like, that's not necessarily my personality. And yet, I find myself in the profession of being a performer. And I like, I wonder do you feel like it's something that you have to turn on? That you have to be like, all right, now I am on stage. (laughs)
0: I think it's actually a little bit more like, I think it's because of my personality type. We actually share Mm -hmm. what you just said, Um, you know, well, like if it's a dinner party, um, I'll like love to tell stories and like make everybody laugh and stuff. But if it's like some um, like a house party, what I would like to do is enter through the front door, leave through the back door immediately, go home and never return to that place.
1: You Um, showed up and you're (laughs) like, I was seen here. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. and well, then you leave <laughs>
0: that's literally all I wanted and slash I didn't even want that um,
1: but what I have found
0: um, is I think I'm a person who feels a little unsafe in the world I'm kind of small just like you and um, you know I've been scared by you know the way that I was treated as queer person as a woman and um, for me the stage actually feels really safe because I feel like I know what everybody wants from me and you um, I also think I can deliver it. Like I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, you all want to hear jokes? I think I can do that. I've been working really hard to <laughs> get this skill going for you, um, and I'm going to make them happy. And then, uh, and then that's the extent of the social interaction. And then they're going to go home. Like, and I might, I'm, I will probably also meet people after the show. But to me, it's like, it seems antithetical. Um, because it seems like that would be a big personality type, like a big extrovert. But I actually think it's the exact opposite. I think a lot of performers are introverts who yeah. are looking for like a controlled um, way to feel safe with other people. And I, to me, it makes perfect sense that you would be what you just described and then feel totally fine walking out on stage. I mean, I don't know if you do, but yeah. but, but it, to me, it feels like it's like those things actually, those make that. I I meet very few performers who I think are what you're describing, even though that's like the... The presumption like me yeah, on stage totally. and me off stage are very different and yeah. um but not because i'm like faking it it's more so just like that's one person that i am here's another person that i am yeah um true you know and i i love i love all of it i like having different facets it's like the yeah. best actually
1: <laughs> yeah it's yeah you're right it is it's okay <laughs> to be like a whole i've been thinking about that like the way that I don't know. Queerness is sort of like maybe, how do I, how do I say this? So the fact that I feel like when you are a queer artist, like maybe all your songs are, need to be explicitly about being queer. Or like if you're a queer comedian, like all your jokes need to be about being queer. Or if you're, if you have like other parts of your identity like you're a female or you're this like it's okay to be a multifaceted individual and just somebody said the other day oh it was broderick greer mm-hmm. just this like i was listening to this like random theology podcast and broderick greer was like <laughs> queer people go to the grocery store and die <laughs> and like it's okay to not like he was talking about like feeling the need to present constantly like commenting or engaging like limited to a perspective on queerness when virtually no other regular person is asked to constantly remind themselves like constantly portray a specific trope or explain or intimate their identity as like the driving factor of what's Going on in their life all the time. I'm not saying this very well. Maybe you can help me. Do you know what I I mean? mean, Like
0: I will say this. For me, I feel like... What's cool about it at this point in my life... um, Is that... I feel like nothing in my... Nothing that I ever encounter is divorced from any identity that i have. So i'm al- i'm always queer, i'm always a woman, i'm always from where i'm from. I've always lived yeah. every day that i've lived yeah. <laughs> in every situation. Um and i also think, you know, what's cool about that is like i love to think about it as like a, you know, that's true of everybody. Everybody has um everybody has a layer of their experience on everything. And i, I think it's i think it's actually Another way of saying what you're saying is that all of us are actually walking through the world that way, even the people who have, like, a more normative um, experience of the world. So, like, folks who never came out and who were straight and who dated the people that they were supposed to date and they meant to wear purses and then purses were what they were supposed to wear. You know, like, that person is still there every moment that they're experiencing is in everything that they say or do for the rest of their life. Like, we're all formed from every moment. Totally. um, and I yeah. think uh, I think it's just really good to remember that, yeah, like we are all individuals shaped by every moment we've lived, and like yeah, I think as queer folks, there can be a real sense of being um, othered and feeling like we should stop talking about our experiences or feel like our, our experiences need to be toned down or um, totally. But it's really like I think about how often straight people are straight. And it is all the time. <laughs> Dude. Those people are always straight.
1: <laughs> the strides are out here. <laughs> they are out here and they
0: are straighten around. And uh, I think, I guess I just think, you know, kind of going back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, it's like, this is such a moment to remember that, you know, and to, and there's so many different applications for that. Like, I'm a white person. I've always been a white person. So right now is a great time for listening uh, because there oh, yeah. are so many things to learn um, from people of color. And so I guess it's just like the ways that you have have power. Um, it's a good time to remember that um, you're always experiencing that power, and you've always been experiencing that power. That's what I'm. That's how I'm. That's how I'm taking what you're saying and shaping it into something. I don't even know if it relates to what you're saying. Yes, but here's a bowl. No, that you've done to perfectly. you. I made it out of pottery. Um, <laughs> Julian's like bowl is very nice. Oh gosh, thank you. It's very mm. beautiful. holds a bunch holds. I was gonna say holds a bunch of tacos, but that mm. you don't put tacos in a bowl. Why would you do that? that you make can put tacos sense. in a bowl.
1: People put bo- uh, everything in bowls now. <laughs> Cracker Barrel I, has a bowl. They like found <laughs> out that young people <laughs> like, like food bowl, in bowls. <laughs> but then it's not taco fixings. It's just actual
0: tacos. Like that doesn't even fit, like shape wise. <laughs> that's the wrong shape. You have to put the it's taco. It's the wrong shape. It's the wrong shape. If there's anything. <laughs> <laughs> um Julian, we're we're actually like, guess what? It's it's wrapping up time, so I want to ask you first of all um to tell listeners like what they could do to support you or or listen to your music right now. Are you mid tour?
1: I'm not mid tour. I leave for tour on November fourth, and we play at the ramen in Nashville, and Amazing. then we're on tour for. I know it's That's with Phoebe so cool. Bridgers and Lucy Dacus. Who everybody should check out. And then we're on tour for a month. And I guess like my music's on the internet. But they should see you live. Come see Julian Live. They should see they should see it live because we're gonna be playing the Boy Genius tunes and we're gonna be like I get to rip a guitar solo for the first time in like five years. That's Great. not like just me. And um, yep, that's it. Cool. They should come see you
0: live. And Uh, Before you go, will you shout out a queero, which is like somebody or could be a place, made you feel comfortable being the person you are today?
1: Ooh, somebody or a place. Or a thing. Oh my gosh. This is, I like, again, like I listened to the podcast and I tried to like think of who would be a good, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and shout out not a queer cuz i feel like so often they're like cultural icons but the first person that made me like in my history of ever that made me think like oh there's a person that looks like me was um my two aunts and intuitively i was just like before like it was explained to me like what was going on in the familial taboo I was like y'all y'all have uh you know short haircuts and like cargo shorts and I like cargo shorts and I don't know why everybody else in my family has such a problem with me liking cargo shorts (laughs) (laughs) and then lo and behold when I was like a teenager I was like oh no like I understand what's happening but they had been together at a time when it was super not cool to be out and well, I re- Oh, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, that's it. That's it. It's just they've been together that long since it was like you don't since you like couldn't say that publicly or you would get terrorized. And now they're married.
0: That's awesome. I hope you take them Carhartt shopping soon. Oh, we, God. We, 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 I will we, take them Carhartt shopping. Will you promise?
1: Okay, good. It's a deal. <laughs> um, cool. Well, I'll Julian, see you. Hopefully I'll see you on know. the road. Yeah. Good luck on your tour. Yeah, good With luck on your cross tour. Paths. I know. Right. I'm gonna
0: come see you I'm gonna I'm gonna find a time to come see you and I'm gonna come see you.
1: Yeah. Nice. But rock and roll, friend.
0: It was great awesome. to it was great to see you and talk to you. Have a great rest of your
1: day. Yeah, you too.